Hello there, welcome back to my Two Cents Podcast review of WWE's, NXT's, and AEW's pay-per-views that happened this week. WWE, they had Night of Champions, AEW, they had Double or Nothing, and NXT, they had Battlegrounds. Now, without further ado, let's just start the show. So, let's start with Night of Champions. Night of Champions will first start off with a World Heavyweight Championship matchup between AJ Styles and Seth Frickin' Rollins. This was determined who will be the first WWE World Heavyweight Champion since they brought the title back since Roman is the undisputed Universal Champion. AJ and Seth will have a good matchup here, but Seth would be the winner and he would win the match by pinfall by hitting a pedigree then the curb stomp for the win here. This was a solid match to open up Night of Champions. Seth and AJ, they had good, decent uh, ring time here. During the matchup, you would see AJ Styles hit Seth Rollins with a pedigree and he would Constantly tried to hit the phenomenal forearm, but AJ just could never ever do it. At one point towards the end of the match, as it seems that AJ is about to hit Seth with a phenomenal forearm, and he does the leaping and he like leaps into the ring, Seth would catch him with a super kick. And you will see Seth try to go for a curb stomp, but his knee would buckle, so he would land right on AJ and lean on him. But this would turn into the pedigree uh, curb stomp for Seth to win the match towards the end. So now with Seth Rollins winning the World Heavyweight Championship here, he is now the world champion. I thought Seth was going to do something nefarious because Seth Rollins, the character, he really still has not like positioned himself into a good guy stance. I mean, he still wears the colory style suits. He still has his laugh. I mean, the only thing that's changed between the character of Seth from this year to what last year was that what, the fans are more behind him. I believe towards his feud with Riddle, you start to see the fans get behind Seth and they were doing the singing of his song. And I think WWE just finally fully embraced it and they just allowed Seth to like transition into a good guy character. But Seth has not portrayed any good guy qualities. I feel I still think that he's a bad guy personally, but he's just under the mask of a good guy. And I just can't wait for that whole thing to be ripped off. But until then, we have Seth here still playing the good guy role. And um, Seth is now the World Heavyweight Champion. He's going to be on Raw. He did have a backstage interview later saying that on every episode of Raw, you will see him on, like, well, Roman Reigns, where you only see him once in a blue moon on SmackDown. Seth's planning on being on Raw every single week, being a fighting World Heavyweight Champion. So that's what to expect on Raw in the following, what, weeks to come. Now, after this, we will have Trish Stratus going against Becky Lynch. Trish would win the match by pinfall, thanks to interference from Zoe Stark. When Trish was on outside of the ring and Becky had the match dominating towards the end, you will see Trish go underneath the ring. Becky would grab Trish and throw her into the ring. The ref will look after Trish and miss Zoe Stark coming from underneath said ring. And then Zoe would hit Becky with a Z360. Then Zoe would throw Becky into the ring and Trish would finish her off with Stratisfaction to win the match. Now, I said Trish would win this. I thought she was going to win by nefarious means, but I did not expect Zoe Starks to be here to help Trish out. I did not expect that at all. I mean, I can see the resemblance of what you are trying to do with Zoe Starks helping Trish, the rookie with the veteran that just wants the thank yous. That's all Trish wants. She wants to be recognized for all her hard work that she's uh, put into the woman's evolution. And Zoe starts being the perfect, like, perfect pupil for this. 
and also soak up game from Trish Stratus to elevate her, I think this puts Zoe in a great predicament so people can, like, really focus in on who Zoe Stark is and the whole picture-perfect, like, box that we have Zoe Stark's in because Zoe Stark has the look. She has the ring ability to be one of the top women in the main roster, but we just need something to help her out, like, spark it up. And I think her being with Trish here does that. Trish and Becky, on the other hand, in this match, they had a good, solid match. I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't expect this match to be that good here. I expected it to happen, like, at SummerSlam to be this good, but they just rang the freaking bell, and they just start getting to it. I mean, Trish and Becky were going at it. This match was dominated majority by Trish. I mean, Becky would get some of her stuff in, but Trish was dominating this match majority of the time, and it even caught the commentator, Michael Cole, by surprise, and he even said it on commentary that he didn't expect Trish to, like, dominate majority of this match. And, again, I think it caught everybody by surprise because Trish, she hasn't had a singles match on WWE television in they said four years so that's 2019 and I believe that was against Charlotte Flair that was her last time and I believe that was at SummerSlam but again solid performance between Trish and Becky now that you have Zoe Starks added as a, another ingredient into this rivalry now Becky has to find her second to uh kind of deal with Zoe Starks as Becky still has tunnel vision to go against Trish and We'll probably have to wait and see within the following couple weeks to see who Becky's going to align herself with to face this duo of Trish and Zoe Starks. But now that Zoe's with Trish, I think this is going to help Zoe out in the long run. And again, this rivalry between Trish and Becky, it just isn't ending yet. And I'm glad for it. Now, after this, we have the Intercontinental Championship match. Mustafa Ali going against Gunther. Gunther would win the match by pinfall when Ali will go for the 450 splash. And Gunther would move out of the way. Ali would land on his feet. And when he turned around, Gunther would hit him with a drop kick. And then immediately, not wasting any time, hit a power bomb to win the matchup here. Now, they gave Mustafa and Gunther solid time. I felt that this was more of a Monday Night Raw matchup here. I mean, anytime that Gunther's in a match against an underdog, you always get that David versus Goliath comparison every time Gunther's in the ring with a smaller guy. And this made no exceptions. Gunther was dominating this matchup from bell to bell. And even on commentary, since the beginning, as soon as the bell rang, they didn't even try to pull the wool over nobody's eyes. They said, yep, we all know Gunther is going to win this, but does Mustafa Ali have any chance of even winning this? And that's the whole story of this match. What was going to be Ali's best shot at trying to win against the unstoppable Gunther here? And at one point, we would get that when Ali would hit a 450 splash on Gunther. And it had the crowd invested to the point that people actually thought Ali was going to win against Gunther. But I know deep down inside, everybody knew that was not going to happen. So when you get that hope spot of Ali hitting the 450, the fans are counting along with the one, two, and they're just waiting to hit that last three, but Gunther kicks out, and you get that big bust of, oh, it just really felt good for Ali to get that, because Ali has not been given the opportunities to really showcase his skills in the WWE ring, and to have the crowd really be on that ride of, can this guy really pull off a task and finally win a championship in WWE, and I'm glad they were able to do that here in Saudi Arabia, 
I'm glad they were able to, well, not Saudi Arabia, I believe Jeddah Kingdom. And I'm glad they were able to do that here for Ali. Because Ali is one of the guys that's on the roster who deserves that uh, opportunity, who has been busting his hump. He was on 205 Live, and he was doing whatever he could do for that show, and then he gets moved over, and they do nothing with him for a good period of time. And then he has bad luck when he's about to get that feud against Brian Danielson for the WWE Championship towards WrestleMania. And then when he gets injured, Kofi comes in, and Kofi takes that reign, and Ever since then, Mustafa Ali has not been able to get to where he needs to be, back in that spotlight, and this match kind of gave him that, but we all knew Gunther was going to win, but I was glad Ali was given that opportunity, but with Gunther still winning and retaining the Intercontinental Championship, they would say that he is the third longest reigning Intercontinental Champion, they would say Macho Man's in front of him, and... Honky Tonk Man is still the number one longest reigning Intercontinental Champion. I think they're going to have Gunther try to break that record and have him be the longest reigning Intercontinental Champion because he has been a dominant force ever since he's been on the main roster. So I can expect that to be in WWE's uh, playing cards with Gunther going forward. After this, we have the SmackDown, well, <laughs> Raw Women's Championship here where Asuka is going against Bianca Belair. And I do want to put a pause on this. For the love of God, WWE, figure it out. You just heard me fumble by saying this is for the SmackDown. I didn't correct myself because Bianca Belair and Asuka, they are SmackDown wrestlers. And they're fighting for the Raw Women's Championship, which you guys have not figured out what you guys want to do yet. The Raw Championship is supposed to be for the Raw Women, and SmackDown Women is supposed to be for the SmackDown Women. But we got two SmackDown competitors competing for a Raw Women's Championship. For the love of God, fix this. Hopefully, this week, you guys get the business and start fixing this crap where the champions need to be on the right brand, hopefully. Because, man, I don't ever want to make that type of mistake, and I know fans are making that mistake, too. <sighs> anyway, unpause. Now, Asuka versus Bianca Belair for the SmackDown, <laughs> sorry again, Raw Women's Championship. Asuka would win the match by pinfall when Bianca was uh, attacking Asuka, and the ref had to separate Bianca from Asuka. This would allow Asuka to spit mist into her fingers, and Bianca wouldn't know this when she put Asuka on her shoulders to look to hit the KOD. But Asuka would use the fingers that has the mist on it and smear the mist on Bianca's face. And Bianca would freak out. This will allow Asuka to hit Bianca with two roundhouse kicks to cover her and win the match and end Bianca Belair's reign as women's champion. Now Asuka and Bianca, they had a solid match up here. This was more 50-50 style. And I enjoyed it. I thought Bianca was going to win because Asuka was not shown as a monster going into this feud, going into this match against Bianca. She's always just known as getting the one-up on Bianca, whether it's with the mist or attacking her from behind and getting her in a submission. That's the deal of what we were dealing with between Asuka and Bianca. And I think what I was missing was they were telling the story of Bianca Belair just does not like getting mist in her face and whenever she does she would just freak out and just completely just drop everything and that was the story here um Asuka would try to hit Bianca with the mist earlier in the match and Bianca would move out of the way and this time when Asuka used the mist and smeared it on her fingers and got it in Bianca's face and you'd see Bianca start freaking out Again, this had Bianca dropping her guards and Asuka was able to capitalize and win the uh, Raw Women's Championship off of Bianca. 
And as I said, solid matchup here, but that was really the tale of the story, making sure that Asuka was able to get that missed on Bianca and have her freak out. So now with Asuka being champion, I'm hoping she goes on a monster uh, run here. I really am. I'm hoping that we get back to NXT champion Asuka where her just kicking everybody's butt and just going on a tear. That's what I'm really hoping for because Asuka needs to be a monster. She needs to be going back to that straight up assassin the way that she was in NXT and letting all the other women try to get to that point where we at least think that they have a shot to beat her for the championship. And I will say personally, Asuka needs to go on that Roman Reigns style reign. I'm not saying for many years holding the championship. I'm just saying let her be a force that other women has to go up against. And we just question, do they have what it takes to beat her? I mean, Asuka already has a freaking uh, saying nobody's ready for Asuka. Put that and make it go to work on the main roster like they did in NXT. That's all I'm asking for. And with Bianca here, we can easily rebuild her back. She hasn't even, I don't think she's even need to be rebuilt. She's still a made woman. She is Bianca Belair. She is the top woman in what WWE right now. So I think she'll be fine. And I think with her probably get a rematch against Asuka next month, probably at Money in the Bank. We'll probably get that, and they'll have another great matchup here. That's what I'm at least thinking, but time will tell. But Bianca, she'll be fine. Asuka, she needs to really have the creative pushing her going forward. Now, on to the other Women's Championship matchup here. We have Natalya going against the SmackDown Women's Champion, Rhea Ripley, with Dominic in her corner. Rhea would win the match by pinfall in quick fashion. I mean quick fashion. When the bell rings, you see Natalia arguing with Dominic, who's on the apron. Rhea Ripley would attack Natalia from behind, throw her out of the ring. Uh, Natalia would be out of the ring. Rhea would brutalize her by throwing her into the steel steps and then throwing her into another set of steel steps and then throwing her into the ring, hit her with a wicked headbutt, and then finish her off with the riptide and cover her for the win. I just literally just gave you step-by-step step what happened in the match. That's how quick this match was. I feel that we need to give Rhea Ripley the Mike Tyson effect, that you have to be there to see her matches. WWE has already mentioned how Rhea Ripley has already shattered the perception of what she used to be. We see the evolution from what she was from when she came into WWE to how she is now. She is a complete rock star. She is a star for the women's division. She is like the next big thing. Not even the next big thing. She is the big thing right now besides Bianca Belair. Like 1A and 1A on each show. Bianca's 1A for SmackDown and for Raw, Rhea Ripley's the 1A for over there. So with Rhea Ripley beating Natalya in extreme dominating fashion here. I think they need to go on a Mike Tyson type bit. Rhea Ripley has a match. She kills her opponents real quickly. And that makes, again, the other women get to a point that they have to become better and get way better to make us believe and think who's going to take the title off of Rhea Ripley. Who's going to be the one? I think that they're waiting for Rhea Ripley to get to a good girl, good guy type of face. I mean, the people already love her, but I think we're trying to get to that 
point because I can see them trying to give us a Becky going against a Rhea Ripley match. I can see them trying to go with the Ronda Rousey going against a Rhea Ripley match. I think that's the one that they're really trying to head up Ronda going against Rhea Ripley. If I want to be honest with you, because Becky versus Rhea, I think that's good. But I think with, again, the MMA backing and Ronda Rousey still has the cachet of the name of Ronda Rousey. I think that's the thing that they're going to try to really latch on with the uh, Rhea Ripley championship type of run that Rhea's on. And I think that with Ronda, you going against Rhea Ripley, we're going to have a good matchup and a good jam up. And until that happens, we got to start having all these other women be built in a way so that Rhea Ripley could easily destroy them or they could at least put up a good fight with Rhea Ripley in these championship matches but until then Rhea has a Mike Tyson style she gets in she kills her opponents done and done that's the way I feel that we should be going here now after this we have Cody Rose going against Brock Lesnar Cody will be coming out to the ring and he will have an exo cast on his left arm they would say is made of titanium and throughout the match you will see Cody use the cast hitting Brock Lesnar, in which I thought that if he used the cast, he'd be disqualified, but they completely threw that out there. Um, Brock would win the match still by referee stoppage when Brock would lock in the Kimura lock on Cody's left arm, and Cody would not tap out. Instead, he would pass out. The ref would see Cody's face, and he would see Cody start fading, and once Cody completely faded, the ref would call for the bell. Now, during this match, you would think that Cody was going to win said match because Cody would hit Brock with multiple crossroads. And whenever you would see that, you would think, okay, Cody would actually might pull this one out. But nope, Brock being Brock, he would just find a way to beast out of it. And again, Brock is a unstoppable force. And also, Cody's coming in this match with a bummed arm, an arm in a cast. So he's kind of already one down against Brock. So Brock winning this, it doesn't shock anyone. I think everybody kind of knew Brock was going to win this match against Cody. And um, now they're both one and one. We'll probably get the matchup at SummerSlam. I don't see them killing this at Money in the Bank, to be completely honest with you. I think they're going to get this one more go at SummerSlam, and I'll probably get a no-holds-barred matchup or something else, if I'm going to be completely honest. I think no-holds-barred will work for them, but I don't know if they're going to go for that. I believe they should, but... Eh, we'll have to wait and see. But Money in the Bank, they're definitely not ending it there. SummerSlam, that's where it's going to happen. That's where I'm at least placing my money if I were to place a bet. But Brock winning here is fine. We all kind of knew it was going to happen. I believe Brock's going to go away for a little bit. Cody's going to be trying to rally himself up and try to rally Adam Pearce to set a match for him going against Brock. And Adam Pearce is probably going to make the executive assistant to have uh, Cody be sitting home until his arm is back to be healthy and then we'll see Cody pop back up on the screen and that's probably after Money in the Bank that's at least my best perspective of where I think we're leading with this Cody and Brock stuff but we'll have to wait and see now it's time for the main event the unified tag team championship matchup here Roman Reigns and Solo Sokoa going against Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn would retain their tag team championships by pinfall thanks to interference from the Usos when Roman would accidentally spear the referee for this match, this match would turn into a brawl. Now you have Kevin Owens and Sammy outside of the ring, beating up and ganging up on Roman, and you would see them like take stuff off the commentary table. They're trying to smash Roman through the table, but the Usos, they run through the crowd, start attacking Kevin Owens and Sammy. Now they start beating them up. You would see them throw Sammy in the ring, 
Um, they will super kick Sammy one by one, and then when they're going for the double super kick, Solsakoa would pull up behind Sammy, and Sammy would duck down, and the Usos would inadvertently double super kick Solsakoa. Now, Solo is down. Usos are looking at one another, realizing that they just super kicked Solo. Roman just saw them super kick Solo. Roman gets in the ring, and he immediately bum rushes them in their faces, asking them, what are you doing here? I told you not to be here. Who gave you the authority to be here? You see them both, Jimmy and Jay, tell Roman, listen, we're just trying to help you out. We're just trying to help out the bloodline here. Roman being more pissed and being more angry, he just shoves, and I mean pot faces, Jimmy. And you see Jimmy get shoved, and Jimmy's just off in the corner. We don't see Jimmy from the camera angle here. Now the camera angle's focusing on Jay and Roman. And Jay just touches Roman, tell him, hey, Oos, we're just trying to help you. We're trying to help out the bloodline. We're just trying to help you guys out. Roman is about to start snapping and bugging on Jay. He tells Jay, you touching me? What are you doing? I told you not to be here. Who gave you the authority? Da 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 da, da. And he starts shoving Jay. He says, no more day one. No more. Get out of my ring. Get out of my ring. And he's just shoving Jay. This would have Jimmy snap, and Jimmy just super kicks Roman out of left field. And once he does it, the whole crowd explodes. It's just like Sammy popping Roman in the back with the chair at the Royal Rumble. And you see Jay looking just completely amused. I mean, not amused, but like, like astonished the exact same way that he did what Sammy did with Roman at the Royal Rumble. It's the exact same play-by-play bit. You see Jay look at Jimmy asking him, what are you doing? What do you do? Jimmy tells Jay, listen, I'm doing something that you should have done a long time ago. And Jay tells Jimmy, listen, you got to be better than that. And I'm thinking when he says that, oh, snap, you mean it to say you got to throw a better super kick than that. And I'm thinking Jay's about to give Roman a super kick, but nah, Jay doesn't super kick Roman. Jimmy just looks at Jay says, listen, I got it. I got it for you. And he just super kicks Roman again. And now Roman's out of the ring. Jay wants to go over to try to help Roman out. Jimmy tells him, listen, dog, we got to go. It's just us now. It's just us. We got to go. And you see Jimmy push Jay out of the ring and start pushing him up the ramp. And Jay still trying to look to see what he can do. But Jimmy just pushing him. So Jay is looking sick because he knows what's coming. He knows what's coming down the line here. Solo would get up. Solo would get in the ring and he would just watch as his brother surges walking up the ramp. And behind him, he would eat a stunner and then a halluva kick from Sami Zayn. And Sami would pin Solo to win and retain their tag titles. Now, after the match, Sami, Kevin Owens, they're holding other tag titles in the air. Roman's realizing what just happened. He's completely startled by all of this. There's a moment where Sammy looks at Roman and Roman looks at Sammy. They're both locking the eyes and Sammy just lifts up the tag titles in front of Roman. And on commentary, they are playing it up as did we just see the bloodline implode. So we have to wait and see what's going to happen on SmackDown here because Roman Reigns is supposed to have his 1,000 day reign, but... I don't think we're going to get to that 1,000-day reign celebration. I think we're going to get to a 
complete brutalization and almost a complete castration of the Usos on SmackDown, to be completely honest with you. So we'll have to wait and see what happens with that. But Night of Champions, it was straight, but I think everybody was really, really focused on, one, who's going to be the world champion, and two, what's going to happen in the main event, and we got to see both. We got to see Seth become a world champion. We got to see, basically, the bloodline kind of implode right in front of our faces. So we got to see what happens on SmackDown. But with that, that is your Night of Champions review. Now, next up was the AEW Double or Nothing. This pay-per-view, I didn't really get to see. I'm going to check it out later, but I got to see highlights of it. But I did want to bring you the show and what the results were. First match, we'll start off with the Blackjack Battle Royal, which is the AEW International Championship. Orange Cassidy would retain his championship by lastly eliminating Swerve Strickland by kicking Swerve's arm off the top rope. And Swerve would fall to the ground. From the highlights that I saw of the match, Swerve and Orange Cassidy were getting it at the end of the Battle Royal. Those two were putting on a clinic with each other. And one person on Twitter would say that they did research and they noticed how Swerve and Orange Cassidy have never been in the ring one-on-one together. So hopefully Tony Khan will give us Orange Cassidy versus Swerve. I did say Orange Cassidy or Swerve should win this match up here, and I thought Swerve was going to win it because Swerve winning the championship this way would have just been a sly, scummy way for him to do it because he didn't technically pin Orange Cassidy to win the championship from him. But I did say if Orange Cassidy did win, I could see him losing it to the next person he probably defends it against. So if we get Swerve versus Orange Cassidy, Swerve is going to win it that way. Um, again, great battle royal for what I saw of the highlights. The next matchup on this card would be the unsanctioned match between Adam Cole and Chris Jericho. And uh, Sabu would be a special enforcer. Adam Cole will win this match by referee stoppage. But Adam Cole will hit the boom. And then you hit another boom, but this time with a chain wrapped around his knee. And then you will see Adam Cole start punching Chris Jericho over and over again. You will see the referee call for the bell. So that's the reason why we call for referee stoppage. People said they didn't like this match. It didn't live up to the expectation. I saw the highlights. I was like, okay, it was cool. Sabu like, jumped off the top rope and slammed somebody through a table. Um, you saw a fire extinguisher, you saw Britt Baker come down, hit Chris Jericho with a kendo stick in the back. I mean, it was what it was for what I saw in the highlights. Again, I'm going to have to see the whole match to give you a breakdown of it. But from what I saw in the highlights, it was fine. But again, I didn't get to see the pay-per-view yet, so what do I know yet? After this, FTR versus Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal, Mark Briscoe special guest referee for the tag titles. FTR would retain their championship by pinfall. When Jeff Jarrett would hit Dax with a stroke and cover him, Dax would kick out at two. Jeff would get in Mark Briscoe's face. Jeff would slap Mark, and then you would see Jeff uh, get retaliated by Mark Briscoe, and then you would see him turn into the Shatter Machine by FTR or the Big Rig, and you would see FTR retain their tag team titles. Again, highlights, solid tag matchup here, and from what I saw the highlights, people were into it, and also... FTR versus Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal, it apparently worked. People were not feeling uh, the second match, the unsanctioned match, and it seemed like the crowd was getting into this tag match up here. So again, uh, Jeff Jarrett, Jay Lethal, FTR, it wasn't supposed to work on paper, but boy, oh boy, did these four guys make this uh, situation work. Next matchup, ladder match, Warlow going against Christian for the TNT Championship. Warlow would retain his TNT Championship. There will be one spot where you see Warlow climb up the tallest ladder in the match outside of the ring and you see Luchasaurus on the table and you see Warlow hit Luchasaurus with a swanton and smash uh, Luchasaurus through that table. And towards the end of the match, you will see Christian holding the TNT title. He hasn't really taken it off the hook yet, but he's on top of the ladder. 
you'll see Arn Anderson grab the ladder, push Christian off of it, and Christian will land on the shoulders of Warlow, and Warlow will powerbomb Christian, and Warlow will just go up and grab the TNT Championship. So Warlow is still your TNT champion here. So hopefully Warlow gets a monster run here after this. Now, next matchup for the AEW Women's Championship, Jamie Hayter versus Tony Storm. Tony will become your new AEW Women's Champion by using Storm Zero. Before the match will start, Jamie Hayter will get attacked by the Outcast. They'll do damage on her injured arm. Jamie Hayter will still say she wants to continue with the match, but Tony Storm would win the match up here whenever Jamie Hayter would go for Haterade, run into the top turnbuckle, and is hitting the exposed steel with her injured arm. This will allow Tony to hit the Storm Zero to win the AEW Women's Championship. Okay, so Tony's your new AEW Women's Champion. I think Tony's going to actually get a run with it. Last time she was called the Interim Women's Champion, so I think this is Tony's way of making it up to Tony Storm for being called the AEW Interim Champion throughout, what, the end of 2022? So now with Tony having this championship here, let's see her get a proper run. Maybe. Next up, the open house match for the Trios Championship. House of Black going against the Acclaim and Billy Gunn. House of Black will win their championships by pinfall when Billy Gunn will be hitting both Brody King and Buddy Matthews with the Famouser. Billy Gunn will then turn around and he will get hit with the Black Mask from Malachi. And that's how House of Black will retain their championships. From what I saw the highlights, solid match up here. This match could happen on Dynamite. The only thing to really take away from this was the beginning of the match before the whole match started. You would see Max Caster do his usual raps and he would call uh, Buddy Matthews a cuck because of the whole relationship status of Dominic Mysterio with Rhea Ripley on WWE. So that's what got at least any type of buzz throughout this match. But again, solid match that could happen on Dynamite from what I saw the highlights. Next matchup, TBS Championship, Jade Cargo going against Taya Valkyrie. Jade would win the match by pinfall by hitting Jaded. After the match, Mark Sterling would say that Jade is issuing another open challenge right now, and a returning Chris Statlander would make her way to the ring, accept the challenge, and Chris would beat Jade by hitting Saturday Night Fever, which is a cradle uh, tombstone pile driver to win the TBS Championship, killing Jade's undefeated streak of 60-0, so Jade is now 60-1. First thing to note, on the highlights from the entrance of Jade's entrance, she came out with her sorority sisters of the AKA, and the fans were into that. And again, what I've said before is that Jade losing the championship is big. It's going to be big. It's going to be nice. But I want Jade to turn into the good girl, good person persona because Jade Cargo is cheered by the people. She is loved by the people, and she always gives these special interests on the pay-per-views. So her doing this on this pay-per-view, it didn't shock me, but I didn't know Jade was in a sorority. But besides the point, this further proves my point. Jade Cargill needs to turn into a good guy. She needs to turn into that so the fans can openly cheer her as the way they're already doing as a bad guy, but it just makes more sense for Jade to be a good guy to be cheered. And Chris Statlander, people cheered for her to return, cheered for her to be back here. That's good and all, but Chris Statlander, she needs some type of edge to me. I think her joining the Outcasts would have been a great call. And still, Dynamite is still going to make that happen. Of Chris Stanlander joining the Outcasts. Because then you can have the Outcasts really taking over the AEW Women's Division with them having all the gold. So that's one way to do it. But Jade needs to be made into a good guy. That's my whole thing here. So people actually can cheer her the way that she needs to be cheered. Now, after this, the Fatal 4-Way matchup for the AEW World Championship. MJF, Jungle Boy, Darby Allin, Sammy Guevara. 
Before the match would begin, as every guy's making an entrance, Sammy would get his entrance, and he would come out with his wife, Ty Conti. He would come out with the boards that fans would write on and that Sammy Guevara would usually write on whenever commercial break, uh, usually happened on Dynamite in 2020, 2021. Either way, this time, they had something to write on the boards, and it was something special. They would announce that Ty Conti and Sammy, they're pregnant. So, Sammy and Ty is going to be parents. So, congratulations to both of them, but that would not help here because MGF would retain his championship by pinfall. When Darby would go for the coffin drop on Jungle Boy, MGF would put the world championship on Jungle Boy. Darby would land on said championship. MGF would then get in the ring, grab Darby, hit him with the headlock takeover, and pin him to retain his AEW world championship. From all the highlights, MGF, all three of the other guys, Darby, Sammy, and Jungle Boy, they had a great match. They had a great fit of four-way. From what I'm understanding, this was literally the match of the night, so I'm really going to go back to check this out. But yeah, for MJF to beat Darby again with a headlock takeover, it's just going to add more salt into the wound for maybe Darby taking the title off of MJF when the time comes. But again, we'll have to wait and see when that time comes. Next up, the main event, Blackpool Combat Club going against the Elite and Anarchy in the Arena. Blackpool Combat Club would win the match thanks to Kanosuke Takeshita. And the final innings of the matchup here, you will see Kenny in the ring with We Are The Yuta. Don Callis will get in the ring. You have this moment of Kenny and Don just staring at one another. A mysterious man will get in the ring, duck Don down, and hit Kenny with a running knee to the face. And once he unmasks himself, it's Kanosuke Takeshita. So this would allow We Are The Yuta to have the screwdriver that he has in his hands, pop uh, Kenny in the head, then lock him into the seatbelt pinning maneuver and pin him so that gives the Blackpool Combat Club the win over the Elite here. I think everybody kind of knew the Blackpool Combat Club was going to win this matchup here because again we still got to go into Blood and Guts which is coming up. So for this to happen it makes sense but now we all know what's going to happen. The Elite's going to get uh, Kota Ibushi to be their fifth guy and we're probably going to get Blood and Guts with Takeshita joining Blackpool Combat Club going against the Elite and Kota Ibushi, and I can't wait for that if that does become the thing. But if not, I wonder who's going to be the fifth member for the Elite. They could grab Adam Cole. They could do that, or they could grab somebody else. But again, we'll have to wait and see. But my best money is probably Kota Ibushi, to be completely honest with you. But from what I saw from Anarchy in the Arena, the highlights, it was a pretty bloody matchup, as you can already tell. Moxley was going to bleed. Um, there was a moment where they had thumbtacks in the ring. They had one of the shoes off of Matt Jackson, and Claudio would get him in an atomic drop, and Matt Jackson's foot would land in the thumbtack, so now his feet had tacks stuck in him. Moxie would hit him with a paradigm shift. Matt would kick out. I mean, it just seemed real, real gruesome in this, but again, I'm going to check the whole thing out because I like AEW. I like the way they do pay-per-views, but I did want to bring you guys the results of what happened on the show and a couple of highlights just to get you guys informed and in to intellectually let you guys know that you guys should check out the pay-per-view. Now, with AEW Double or Nothing out of the way, the pay-per-view that I did see on Sunday, NXT's Battleground, it would start off with a triple threat for the NXT North American Championship, Wesley versus Tyler Bate versus Joe Gacy. Wes would win the match by pinfall, and he would do this when he would take Tyler Bate out with a Top Gun Hilo outside of the ring. And then when Wes got back in said ring, Joe Gacy would hit him with a Uranagi, and then he would look to hit the upside on West, but West would rebound with a cardiac kick 
to win the matchup here. This match was a good triple threat match to start off the pay-per-view for NXT. And it seems that's always been the case for Wesley in this um, run that he's in, at least right now. Because Vengeance Day, he started off with him and Dijak, and they had one of the great matches on that pay-per-view. Um, Stand and deliver, they didn't start it up, but boy, they had a great match, the fight, fatal five-way for the North American Championship. And right here, just to start opening with the triple threat here with West for the North American Championship, again, solid, straight, good matchup here. You had all three guys putting their best into it. There was a moment in this match where Joe Gacy would hit uh, both men with the upside. No, 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 I got it wrong here. Tyler Bate and Joe Gacy, they were trying to hit their rebound clotheslines on Wesley, who was in the middle. But Wes would duck it, and then Tyler Bate and Joe Gacy would hit each other with their clothesline. Then Wes would rebound off the ropes with a cardiac kick onto both Tyler Bate and Joe Gacy. You would also have Tyler Bate hitting an airplane spin on Joe Gacy on the shoulder, and he would hit the Cesaro swing on Wes at the exact same time, so proving that... Uh, Tyler Bate is the big, strong boy. I mean, this match was a good way to open up the show. And Wes winning it is now making him the longest-reigning North American champion in WWE history. So, congratulations to Wes here. I don't know who's going to take the title off of Wes. I can see them doing it with Joe Gacy in a one-on-one matchup if they want to do that here. But as of right now, if they don't, I don't know who's on the NXT roster that could do it. Again, we have the free agency stuff where we could have a person who wasn't drafted from the draft to come down to NXT to take the title off of West. We could have a Cedric Alexander, or we can have a Baron Corbin after he's done with his business with Cameron Grimes on SmackDown. Or we could have a Shelton Benjamin come down there and have a good run down there in NXT and help out some of the younger talent we can do that. So again, right now the doors are wide open for anybody to come into NXT to challenge West for the North American Championship. And again, I just don't know who's going to take the title off of him, but I can't wait to see more Wesley's matches in NXT as he is still the North American Champion. Now next up was the Heritage Cup match with Noam Dar with his second man, Oral Mensa, going against Dragon Lee, and his second man was Nathan Frazier. Now, the rules of this match was there would be six three-minute rounds of this match. The first person to get two rounds, well, two falls in the match would win said match. But if he did get DQ'd or ring out, or ring count out, the match would end. And I believe the person that got DQ'd would lose and you get drift here. Noam Dar would win the first fall in the second round by hitting a spinning back elbow and then get Dragon Lee in a roll-up. Dragon Lee would get the second fall in the fourth round by hitting a spinning inverted DDT in the fourth round and then cover Noam Dar to win that second fall. After the fourth round, both Nathan Frazier and Oro Mensa would be sent to the back because they were fighting because Oro, during the fourth round, pushed the ropes towards Noam Dar when Dar was trapped in a submission hold by Dragon Lee. So Frazier will see this, he will fight Oro Mensa, that's the reason why they got sent to the back. Now Noam Dar will win his second fall and the final fall to win the match up here in the fifth round, thanks to distraction from Jakari Jackson, as Jakari would run down to the ring, get on the ring apron, and distract the ref, as Last Legend would come in from the crowd and hit Dragon Lee with a bucket in the back. This will allow Noam Dar to hit the Nova Roller, which is a running enziguri to win said matchup here, so Noam Dar is still your Heritage Cup uh, champion. 
The rules for this match, I think it's going to take some time for the people over here in the States to get used to that style of match, to be honest with you, because I even had problems understanding what the rules for this match was. So when they read it off at the beginning of the match and then they start implementing it during the match, I started slowly grasping, okay, so this is how this thing goes. So basically best two out of three falls in a match up here, but you got like six rounds, three minutes each to get your falls in. So that's the meaning of this whole thing here. So hopefully they implement the Heritage Cup rules matches uh, more on NXT television so more people in the States can get used to it. I know people in Europe are probably already uh, used to this style of match. But again, since they're over from the UK in the States now, they got to uh, find a way how they can blend that over and make the American audience get used to that style of match. But again, I'm open to understand more and open to see more matches like it. But Noam Dar winning here is good. You will see Noam Dar later in the back with his new super group or clique of Oral Mensa, Jakari Jackson, and Lash Legend. And I like this little group. I do. I like seeing Noam Dar have this group around him. I like seeing uh, Jakari Jackson and Lash Legend get some time on NXT and especially Oral Mensa because Oral Mensa, he came over from NXT UK and he was supposed to be one of the guys that's supposed to get some limelight and he hasn't been getting any. So now that he's getting some with Noam Dar and Lash who was on the beginning of NXT when they started doing the rebrand of 2.0, and she was doing her show last, Lashing Out. And again, she hasn't been shown much on NXT television. And Jakari Jackson, she's technically new because she hasn't really debuted on NXT television. She's probably did NXT Level Up. But NXT, the television show? No. So seeing her actually be in the front with this, and this is like her introduction to the whole entire NXT World World on television, this is a good way to do it. So having these four clicked up together, hopefully this will drive them into the stratosphere because Noam Dar, he's a great character. I like what he's doing. I like him ending off his whole little thing with check please in the most annoying, obnoxious way to say it because he feels that like he's a superstar. So again, having these four in a group is only should elevate them more into stratosphere that's what at least what i'm hoping for and dragon lee he doesn't take no loss from this is anything else he's gonna get better with doing wwe television wise he's gonna get better not in the ring but just gradually get to the point that he's going to win a championship because you know dragon lee's going to but i do gotta admit one thing there was a nasty spot in this matchup that i did not like because this could have really ended catastrophically bad when Noam Dar was on the ring apron, Dragon Lee would run up to him and try to hit the Hunakarana outside of the ring onto the floor. He did it earlier in the match. They got that off. Second time, he tries to do it, and now you see Noam Dar like spike him with a powerbomb, but during the process, Dragon Lee's arm hits the ring apron and his head hits the floor. That nasty. That was nasty. That I didn't like seeing that. That made me flinch up in my seat. So hopefully they stop with that type of crap. Because again, things can happen. And you don't want to have that on somebody's conscience. So please, anybody in NXT, please kill that. Just allow the Hurricane spot to happen and call it a day. No more trying to remix that into a powerbomb onto the floor. That just didn't look right. Now, next matchup was the last match standing match of Ilya Dragunov going against Dijak. Ilya would win the match by hitting a leaping forearm off of the steel steps to behind the head of Dijak and Dijak's head would bounce off 
a chair, and that's the end of it. This was a brutal matchup. I mean, you had Kindle sticks, you had chairs, you had tables, to the point that Ilya even used his body to crash through a table to get to Dijak. Dijak would get a table, he would have it outside the ring. As soon as he's starting to uh, stand it up, Ilya just ran through it like a complete rhino and just smashed through it as Dijak's behind the table just to get at Dijak to drop him down. So you have that. Towards the end of the match, you have Dijak having Ilya in the corner, and he just starts hitting him in the stomach multiple times with the kindle stick. And he doesn't do it rapidly. He takes his time, and he hits him one time, and Ilya's just just grunting in pain, and you can see it in his face. And Dijak talks trash to him. Dijak hits him the second time. And now Ilya is starting to cry, and you can see it, and you can hear it. It doesn't seem like a pretty sight. Dijak tells him to lay down, to stay down, and Ilya doesn't. He hits him a third time, and he hits him a fourth time. I mean, it was real slow, agonizing pain just to show you that, one, Ilya is not going to go anywhere. He's not going to just lie down for anything. And two, Dijak is willing to inflict pain on anybody just to accomplish what he wants. So I like that they did that, but it made me reminisce of the Tommy Dreamer Sandman spot in ECW. And I even tweeted it out that they're doing that exact same spot. And for me, it's good to see that in a way because Ilya's all about taking punishment. Dijak's cool with dishing it out the same way that back in the day, Tommy Dreamer. He was cool with taking punishment. Sandman, he was cool with dishing it out. Now, having said that, Seeing Dragunov win the match, it was great. It was good. Now Dragunov can go off to do something else. Dijak can go off to do something else. Hopefully these two guys get to uh, main event status because Dijak, he is worthy of it. He's been at NXT for a good minute now. And him with his whole rebranding of being the architect of justice and his own type of justice, like a Judge uh, Dread character. I like that. And again, him inflicting punishment on people, I'm cool with it. Uh, Ilya Dragunov, he comes from the UK, he's all about violence, he was former NXT UK champion, you know what he's about, you saw his match that he had with JD McDonough, and this match appeared that with Dijak, you could tell that he could take pain, and he can equally dish it out with the best of them, so hopefully Dragunov has another match with Wes for the North American Championship, that might be the case, or he can go after the NXT Championship. Mm, that's another way we can go to, but hopefully both guys, they get elevated to a point now after this last man standing match that both of them are seen as championship caliber uh, wrestlers in NXT. Now, after this, we have the NXT Tag Team Championship matchup here. Gallus with Joe Coffey in their corner going against the Creed's who had Ivy Nile in their corner. Gallus would retain their Tag Team Championships by pinfall thanks in part to Ava Rain. When Julius Creed would hit Mark Coffey with a rolling Oklahoma slam and then look to hit his signature clothesline, Joe Coffey would get in the ring and try to attack Julius, but miss and run the ropes. Ivy would sweep the legs of Joe and make him trip. This will allow Julius to clothesline Joe Coffey out of the ring. Ava Rain would then come down to the ring and grab Ivy Nile by the neck and then throw her into the ring post. And Julius would see this. This will allow Wolfgang and Mark Coffey to hit Gallus Gate, which is an airplane spin running knee strike combination to pin Julius so Gallus could retain their NXT Tag Team Championships. Solid match here. It could have been on NXT regular television, but it was good. But the only thing that you notice about this tag match up here is how good the Kree Brothers are. 
You saw them hitting mad suplexes. You saw Julius hitting a running shooting star press. The Creed brothers, they're good. They should have been on the main roster. To be completely honest with you, this draft should have had pretty deadly being up on the main roster, which they are, and they should have had the Creed brothers being drafted up as well. I don't understand why the Creeds are still in NXT. It might be to help elevate the NXT Tag Team Championship or the Tag Team Division. That time is coming on. Just plain and simple. The Creed brothers, they need to go up to the main roster. They're wasting time being in NXT. Get them up on the main roster. Hurry up and do that. Because right now, I don't know what's left for them to do, to be completely honest. So you're going to try to get Julius or Brutus to go after the North American Championship while the other goes after the NXT title? You could do that, but the Creed's, they're a tag team right now. So I just don't know what is left for them in NXT to do. This match was a solid match, but this further showcased the Creed's. That's all it did, and it shows why they should have been drafted up on the main roster. So, again, I don't know what's left for them. Gallus is your, still your uh, NXT Tag Team Champions. That's all I got to say about this match, to be completely honest with you. Still, it was a, still a good match, but the main point of it is, what's left for Gallus, not Gallus, but what's left for the Creed Brothers to do? What's left for them? To be completely honest, what is it? Now, next matchup. Tiffany Stratton going against Lyra Valkyria for the vacant NXT Women's Championship. Tiffany would win the match by pinfall by hitting the steamroller, then finishing her off with the prettiest moonsault ever to win the match. So Tiffany is your new NXT Women's Champion. We all kind of knew that. The crowd was cheering for Tiffany throughout the entire match up here. We all kind of knew this was a crowning night for Tiffany Stratton, even though people still did cheer for Lyra, but people knew Tiffany was going to win. This was her night. This was her match for her to win and what made it more noticeable was that Lyra Valkyria she came in with a bum knee she came in with a bum knee because Cora Jade attacked her on NXT this past Tuesday so Lyra came in with a target on her knee and Tiffany did go after that knee in this matchup here like any wrestler would when you see somebody with a bullseye so Tiffany would do what she could do but Lyra would still pull up a fight Lyra would even come close to hitting uh, Tiffany with a spinning heel kick. Nope, she did hit her with it. And then when she did, she pinned Tiffany. Tiffany put her leg on the bottom rope, which made a rope break. And that was like the last bit of effort that Lyra could basically do because after that, it was all Tiffany. Tiffany took care of it. Tiffany hit steamroller. Prettiest moves all ever. New NXT Women's Champion. So now Tiffany's a champ. I don't know who's going to be her first challenger. It could be a Roxanne Perez. Um, it could be, what, a Fallon if they want to go that route, or any other numerous woman that's on the NXT women's uh, roster. We'll just have to wait and see on this NXT episode this upcoming Tuesday. But again, Tiffany is your new NXT women's champion. And now it's time for the main event. For Braun Breaker to go against Carmelo Hayes with Trick Williams in this corner for the NXT championship. We're in uh, Massachusetts. We're in Carmelo's backyard, you have the fans, and everybody cheering for Melo. Braun will get a special entrance. He comes out in uh, killer gear. He has a dog face type of uh, mask on his face. He comes out with a ripped up looking hoodie. I mean, Braun looks like a killer when he comes out here. He has that whole aura. While Carmelo, on the other hand, he would get another special entrance. Trick would do uh, talking about Boston, the city of champions. He would talk about the Stanley Cup champions, you would call about the NBA champions, NFL champions, and then it goes down to Melo, talking about he's a champion. You have, like, every sports championship that Boston, that whole city has, one, 
show up on the Titantron, and in the middle, you have the NXT Championship because Carmelo is the hometown guy here. So Melo, he gets the crowd adulation for him, and this match was literally, I'll say about a good 60-40. Braun putting a beating on Melo here, but Melo would get the win by pinfall when he would hit two super kicks, a springboard DDT, then finish off with nothing but net to retain his NXT championship. So now with Melo beating Braun 2-0, where does this leave Braun and Melo? Does Braun still stay in NXT? Does he get some type of special contract to say that, yep, he, we want him. We're going to have him on the main roster now. I don't know. I don't know if we want Braun down here to still try to like traumatize and try to uh, cause damage in NXT. For what reason? I have no idea. But again, we'll have to wait and see with that. But this match right here, it was a good match between Melo and Braun. Braun would hit another six spear on Melo whenever Melo tried to hit a springboard uh, clothesline, and Melo just gets speared by Braun. Braun and Melo with those springboard clothesline spear moments is always A1, and the way that the impact hits off, it just makes it seem like my man Braun just killed Melo with that spear. Now, I don't know what else to say about this match up here. I will say you probably do need to check out the match, again, just to see the people, um, cheer for Melo, to see him come out in his gear, to see uh, Braun make his special entrance, and just for them to have that match and see that match between two guys who are literally the guys that could run the future of WWE. So I say you guys need to go out there and check that match out. And now I want to talk about something. I didn't like NXT and Double or Nothing like popping up at the exact same time. That was stupid. I don't know whose idea it was. I don't know if they couldn't have pulled something back. I don't know what the deal is. I know that they should never, ever have dueling competition pay-per-views at the exact same time. Because people will complain about it. People have to make the decision whether they're going to watch AEW first or NXT first. Certain people are watching it both at the exact same time. I don't like it. I'd rather you guys have one pay-per-view starting at, what, 4, 5, and then the other one popping in at 8. Or you can just go with... Okay, you get a Saturday, I get a Sunday. Do that. They're competitive uh, competition companies, but somebody can find out when their pay-per-views are going to go about. Like, WWE can find out when AEW's having their pay-per-views, or AEW can find out when WWE's having their pay-per-views, and just kind of try to coordinate with that. I know AEW got no other choice but to do Sundays now. Since they're having collision on Saturdays, they got to do Sundays on pay-per-views. That's their deal now. WWE, you guys could easily do a Saturday pay-per-view. I understand you guys just had Night of Champions, but Night of Champions was on a, what, 1 o'clock basis over here in America, and it ended, what, I'll say 4, 4.30-ish over here. You guys could easily had uh, Battlegrounds at 8 o'clock over here. You could have easily have done that, but again, it is what it is. I hope this is the first and last time you guys are doing this in this modern era of you guys just back and forthing it on a Sunday. I don't ever want to have to do that crap ever again. It was trash. It was garbage. But it just made it much more difficult, to be completely honest with you. But again, hopefully you guys don't ever do that crap ever again. Now, that was my reviews of Night of Champions, AEW, and... WWE's uh, Battleground, NXT's Battleground, excuse me. 
And again, with all that being said, I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you guys tune into Wrestling Tonight because tonight's Monday Night Raw. If you are listening to this on a Monday, but if you aren't, go check out the past wrestlings that happened this past week. But if you do not, I have a Saturday episode coming up. Uh, Wrestling Highlights of the Week. I always do that every Saturday. You can listen to what happened this past week on each wrestling show because I cover it. Now, with that being said, I'm going to have Jimmy Uso take us out. Hey, Uso, I am the Tribal Chief.